Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Friday, March 31st, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice absolutely free on the Internet at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say Start Here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using with great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and help me turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app. That app contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. It also contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives when they apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it also tends to prompt comments and questions, answers and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate it if you do it by calling us at 563-999-3581. And pressing 1 on your phone, that will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. 
I will then turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. Alternatively, you can send us an email. You can email genie at J-E-A-N-I-E at yagain.org. Or you can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. And we appreciate whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention with this work is to be of service. And that's far easier to do when we know how these things are resonating with you, what questions you might have, what we might be able to do to facilitate your use of these tools to improve your life quality, etc. So, please let us know how we can help. 563-999-3581. Call that number and press 1, and we'll have a conversation. How can we be of support to you today? I am um, working my way through the book by Laura McGowan titled Push Off From Here. Um, as, as, as I had the experience with her first book, this is, um, to my eye and ear, a very nice book, a very good book, very useful, very honest, and... Um, I said yesterday in the show when I was prompted to uh, recite my ten bottom line observations and talk about them in some detail that I couldn't remember why I started to do that. And it came to me. The reason I'm doing that is because I'm in the middle of a book written by Laura McGowan, which is basically a book based on her uh, nine statements that, that she used as an epilogue from her first book. And these nine statements have really guided her process of breaking the pattern of addiction and building a healthy lifestyle for herself. So that was the trigger. Um, and, of course, I'm always... Uh, game and up for having a discussion about the bottom line observations and or anything else we've talked about in the past 12 years on this show. Five days a week, one hour a day for the first eight years and two hours a day, five days a week for the last four. So what's on your mind? What would be of service to you? I was thinking about um, the last reality management worksheet that I did live on the radio show here. Um, and the idea of um, that dynamic where when, I, when I'm willing, when I'm able to clear up some of my mental emotional energy around an issue or around my interactions with somebody, whether it's um, a loving interaction or a contentious interaction, when I clear up my energy around it, it changes the energy flow between me and that person. And sometimes it leads them to act in very different ways. And sometimes it just leads me to be able to see more clearly. And one of the things that 
and I think it's you know nearly criminal or should be criminal that we aren't taught this in schools that our perception is so active. I found myself um, putting this in an email to somebody earlier today, the quote from the Course in Miracles where it says, we must come to understand the the distorting power of the way we want things to be. And if we don't understand that, we don't realize that as we're holding a goal for something to be different than it is, it literally, it actually, actively changes our perception. It's also part of the truth that's contained when Guy Finley says, when you don't want something from another person, they can't lie to you. But as long as you want something from them, it will literally distort your perception. And you will want them to be more respectful or you will want them to like you or you will want them to be more honest or whatever it is and or you'll want them to uh what is the that people give give you a good review a good five-star review on amazon or on your blog post or you know on your your book review or whatever and when you want that from somebody it whether you realize it or not it creates a distorting factor and it literally puts you in a position where you do not see as accurately as you do when you don't have that goal or desire. One of the, I've talked about this before, but it just popped into my head again. Years ago on this internet show, when I was not involved in a romantic relationship at the end of one of the shows were Jeannie and the woman named Michelle who's at that point she was more frequently involved in the show they sent me a message congratulating me on being involved in a romantic relationship and they were shocked when I said I'm not where did you get that idea and they both got that impression from whatever was said on the internet show. So I went back and listened to the archive and I said, yeah, I think it'd be good for you to go back and listen because I didn't say anything about being in a romantic relationship. And yet they both had, you know, fond thoughts about me and thought, you know, it would be wonderful if I had a relationship because at that point in their careers, they were both in relationships and and they wanted it. And so it literally distorted their perception, not one, but two people in the same conversation. And when they went back and listened to the recording of the interaction, they both said, yeah, I, it's not there. We don't know we don't know how we came to hear something that never happened. And of course because this is a show about teaching and about supporting each other in learning, we use that as a as an example on the on the show. I'm using it again here. We are not taught how powerfully active 
our process of perception is. And one of the primary factors that distorts our perception is how strongly we hold on to wanting things to be a certain way or wanting things to be different than they appear to us. So please understand one of the ways this unfolds is when people have been involved in an unproductive pattern in their life, whether they want to label it an abusive pattern or not, when people have been involved in an unproductive pattern in their life, they they can frequently judge themselves negatively simply because they're not living up to this ideal they have for themselves. And so if they're holding on to this belief or this hope or this goal that they be perfect or they be um, outside the range of what they would label as unproductive or sick or damaged, that ideal, that wish to be other than they are can be a very distorting factor in their perception. And so they judging themselves far more harshly than they would ever judge anyone else for the very same experiences, for the very same behaviors in their life. If I think I'm supposed to be perfect because I'm a psychologist or because I've had almost 49 years of experience in doing therapy, then if I hold on to that, if I don't realize that I'm just like everybody else and that I am as liable to get triggered to upset or have a distorted perception or step into a faux pas or get distracted and not pay attention to the impact of my statements on somebody else, if I don't realize that that's just the nature of life and I hold this set of ideals for myself to be better than somebody else or better than somebody who doesn't have that much experience in therapy, I will distort my perception. And I will be able to, as Guy Finley says, if I don't actively work to dismantle every excuse for being negative towards myself, judging myself badly, or being negative or angry towards somebody else, if I don't actively dismantle those excuses, I will be able to rationalize any level of abuse. I will be able to spend hours, if not days and weeks, being mentally, emotionally abusive toward myself in my internal dialogue, in my self-sabotaging behaviors, in my withdrawing from relationships at a time when I most need support from friends and family. If I don't dismantle every excuse to be negative, I will be able to rationalize, justify, and validate any level of abuse.
So the minute I think I'm better than or different than anybody else, I've now set up a goal or an expectation for myself. I've now set up a desire for me to be other than I truly am. And in that, I step into what the Course in Miracles warns me against doing, and I forget the distorting power of the way I want things to be. And the minute I think I'm done with an issue, or I've resolved my anger on this or that, and I can't be offended by this or that, or I can't be triggered by this or that, the minute I think that, I set up a powerful distortion of my own perception. And Course in Miracles warns me against it. Way of Mastery talks about it in various levels. And yet, I'm still liable to do that because of the way I've been raised in my culture and or my family. And we would be happy to support you as we support ourselves and everybody else in stepping out of that pattern, stepping out of that trap of desiring things to be other than they already are, and then letting that craving desire for something to be different distort our perceptions. When we can step into the direct observation of the way things are without labeling them as bad or wrong, and then now we can see clearly. Now we're not distorting our perception. Now if there's something for us to do to change and make something better, it will appear to us. It'll flow from our direct observation without the distortion, and it'll flow into and through our actions. And that is how most of us, when we dismantle the patterns of self-sabotage and negative behaviors, that's how most of us make significant improvement in our lives. We begin by accepting what is. And if I accept what is, now I can work with it. If I'm upset about what is, I don't even realize how that intense desire for things to be different distorts my perception and keeps me from even seeing accurately the truth of life in the moment. And then from there, everything I do is based on a distorted picture, so it's much less likely to be effective. So how many people do you know who are hard on themselves? How many people do you know who are... Um, brutally mentally emotionally abusive in their own self-talk perhaps you're one of them yourself that would be what this is directed to any person who is negative in their self-talk is missing the truth of life distorting their picture of themselves, seeing themselves as worse than they are, guaranteed. Any effort they make to change their life for the better is doomed to failure because they're not even looking in the right area. I just flashed on the story of the guy that was 
out on the street at night under a street light, rummaging around, lifting up papers on the street, going to the trash can that was there, rummaging through it. And there was a couple who walked by and said, you know, did you lose something? Can we help you? And the guy says, yeah. He said, well, what did you lose? I lost my car keys. And so they they start, you know, looking around by the mailbox, under the mailbox, trying to tip the mailbox in. Look, helping him look through the garbage, and I said, so are you sure you lost them here? And the guy said, oh, no, I lost them two blocks down in the alley, but there's no light there. If I can't see life as it truly is, I'm going to start looking to change things without even knowing what I'm doing. I'm looking in the wrong area. I'm going to look to see I have to change it because I'm such a, a shameful person. I'm so damaged and wounded and broken. And the fact of the matter is none of us at our core are damaged and wounded and broken. None of us need generate shame and guilt and blame. And as we do, we literally prevent the possibility of changing our lives for the better because we will be focused on things that actually have no direct impact on making our lives better or worse. We think it's this or that that's causing our upset. It's never that. We think we're a bad person, that we're shameful, that we should feel guilty. We think that because of this, we have to get other people to change the way they think or feel about us. And none of that ever results in a positive change in our lives. Because the thing that's creating the feeling of shame or guilt or upset or negative self-talk and judgment is an error in our thought process. It's not an error in who we are. It's not the result of us being unlovable or lacking value or being worthy of being shamed or guilted. It's literally an error in the process of thought, which David Bohm and Krishnamurti talked about in, in, in literally in direct, in actual person-to-person, face-to-face interviews, which you can find some of on the Internet. The quality of the recording is not very good, and Krishnamurti's accent and his low quality of recording makes some of those interviews very difficult for me to get through, but they're there. And these are, you know, a spiritual teacher and a physicist who both reach the same conclusion, that there is a fundamental error in our process of thought as it relates to our mental, emotional beings, our our psychological life, etc. And unless we are able to see that and sidestep the fundamental process that that error points to, we'll never make any progress. We will keep using our process of thought to try and end our pain and suffering when it's a fundamental flaw in our process of thought which is creating our pain and suffering. Which is the essential definition or meaning for that phrase sustained in coherence that Michael Rice incorporates in his current reality management worksheet. 
And there are people who say, hey, wait a minute. Are you telling me that my thinker is broken? And if my thinker is broken, how am I ever supposed to make things better? Well, your thinker isn't broken. Your thinker only does what it's been programmed to do, right? This is what Michael Rice labels the carbon-based memory. It is the the literal, the actual brain in your head, which functions a lot like a hard drive in a computer. All it can do at that level is record the information that's been poured into it and then spit it back out when it's called upon to do so. Fortunately for us, that's not our only way of interacting with the world or getting access to insights, intuitions. I think it was Einstein that said um, genius is um, I forget. This has to do with the, the inspiration and perspiration, right? The idea of if I work hard I'm going to find the answer. But if I work hard and I'm struggling in the area of conscious, logical mind, I may never find the answer. This is why some geniuses over the years have done things like they get frustrated working on a problem, and so they lay down for a nap. But they want the nap to be short and or they want to wake up just as they're falling asleep in that twilight state. So they'll either put a spoon or a rock in their hand and let it hang over the couch as they lay down on the couch or the bed. And then when they fall asleep, the rock or the spoon falls out of their hand, makes a noise, and they wake up. And often in that twilight state, conscious rational thought, logical thought, and dream state an answer appears, a creative, insightful, dynamic, hitherto undreamed of. (laughs) I've been waiting to say hitherto for quite a while. So, area code 610, I believe this is Susan. Oh, it is again. Hi, Dr. Tim. Welcome. You're hovering around the very issue I've been thinking about lately, which is, for me, it just, uh, I feel as if somebody put a stopper in the brain, in the drain. I have done worksheets on this. I learned about a year ago that um, my sister, my younger sister, who we are supporting, my son told me this last year. He said, when I was four to six, she abused me. She molested me. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, I've never talked about it to anyone. I don't want you to talk to her about it. I don't, don't want you to talk to, her, to Tim about it, my husband. And here I am talking on the radio show, but the radio show has a small group of a community, and um, I've been stuck with this. Uh, I get to the – because my goal is to have it not have happened. And it happened. So I I do the rose and the butterfly thing. I root in God. I ask myself, in what ways have I hurt people? Have I done terrible things? Might be different. 
and in fact they are, but they're I think of the time I used to throw rocks on these fish that my father threw off onto the shore after he, he'd haul in a, a stingray and it wasn't the kind of fish he wanted, so he'd send it up onto the beach and a few of us little kids would stone the thing to death. That seems in the same category of horrible. So I, I think, uh, show me another way, and I, I line up all the ways that I've done things that are absolutely horrific and really unforgivable, and I can't reverse it, can't do anything about it. But I have this sister with whom I have a decent relationship, but now I have this in my mind, and I, I'm stuck on the enlightened goal. Show me another way. My other way has gotten as far as admitting to myself that I've done my own type of things. Uh, and so I'm I'm not any better or worse than she is. But do you have any suggestions? Sorry, are you there? I couldn't hear a thing. Now I just heard you. Can you hear me now? Yep. But right. I didn't hear you answer so, anything. Okay. So so the fundamental thing is I have to be willing. In my work for myself, I want to make myself willing to just keep doing the worksheets, to just keep finding the goals, even if it's the same goal over and over again or just a slightly different goal over and over again. And you know like what sometimes you say um there's that bottom line observation about how if i'm upset about something somebody says or does uh, because i'm still judging myself negatively for doing something the same or similar thing and in mm-hmm. part that that can be even in my thoughts right even if i've just wished someone would die even though i've never killed anybody or whatever so it isn't that it has to be exactly the same thing it's not like yeah. if i think i'm upset because somebody sexually molested a child. That doesn't mean that I have sexually molested a child, right? What, right. what that means in, that, in the bottom line observation is I've done things that were less than helpful or actually hurtful to other people when I was running from my own pain, fear, or sadness. Yeah. So as I keep doing the worksheet process where I line out, here's what my mind is telling me. My mind is telling me I have this pain or this fear or this sadness or this hurt or this confusion or this anger because I found out that somebody I know hurt somebody else that I know and love. Somebody that I know and love hurt somebody that I know and love. And as I keep putting that on the first three steps of the worksheet, I lay out with my mind, I'm feeling rage and it's because this happened and that happened, and my thought is that person did this horrible thing, has changed this life forever, and they never should have, and here's my goal, here's my punishment thought. I map that all out in the first three steps of the worksheet, and then mm-hmm. I go in the process of connecting with love, my true nature. I breathe. I soften. And then I cancel all of that and ask to be shown something else. I 
Right. This is a process. This doesn't happen overnight. We have been so trained in our culture to rely on the intellect, to think our way through everything, to know that we're right and what they did was wrong, and we know that and nothing's going to change that. If I sit and spin in those logical thoughts about who's right, who's wrong, etc., I don't get any insight. I don't get any movement. I don't dismantle mm-hmm. the negative emotions I'm creating. I feed the negative emotions I'm creating. So I need to be willing to engage that process and practice that skill of releasing my attachment to being right, of releasing my attachment to the goals I have, of releasing my identification with, I am somebody who would never do that to another person or never hurt anybody that way. And or I'm somebody who can't pardon somebody who's done something so horrific or can't ever love somebody who's done something. I have to keep practicing my ability to soften my attachment, to release my attachment to all of the thoughts I have about myself and everybody else. And in that process, magic starts to happen, seemingly magic, right? Because it doesn't happen from or within a logical context. It doesn't follow all of these other thoughts that I've been holding in my mind about what's right and what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, what should happen and what shouldn't happen. I'm I'm trying to put myself in that state, like I just referenced here at the end of my little opening talk, right in that dream state between sleep and wake, yeah. in that twilight state. I want to put myself in a position where something I can't even begin to imagine can happen and beyond that I invite it to happen because when I first find out about something like that I first find out about some horrible situation of abuse that happened someone took advantage of a child or someone raped somebody that was smaller than them or whatever I can't even imagine feeling loving towards that person who was in this case the the abuser or the perpetrator or whatever. So I have to be willing to practice putting myself in a space where I'm inviting something I can't even imagine could happen. And in that process, go ahead. Inviting. You said it before and I didn't get it. You said it again. I'm inviting exactly what I'm inviting something I can't even imagine come to me, to enlighten me, to take place within my perception. I can't even imagine that, that I would feel loving towards somebody that I found out did something harmful to one of my children. can't even imagine that when I first begin doing worksheets. I had a uh, I had a situation that came up in the support group last night. I had a situation about four years ago where uh, I had somebody who actually lied to me to my face and ripped me off for about thirty thousand dollars. 
And when that first happened, I I couldn't imagine getting past it and feeling anything neutral or or even slightly positive and loving towards that person. Couldn't imagine it. So I had to go into the worksheet process, and, and believe me, there were dozens of worksheets I had to be willing to do before all of a sudden, I don't even know how it happened. It doesn't fit a logical progression. I could talk about it in some logical sense now and maybe make some sense of it, but it didn't come to me that way. I had to put myself in a space where I say, I have this divine ignorance. I have no idea how I'm going to move past this. And I invite some outside source, my higher self, God, light, love, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it, I invite something to show me what my conscious logical mind can't even conceive of. I hope that makes some sense to you, that it is not something I can consciously say, oh, Susan, yes, I know this problem. I saw it in the algebra book when I and I looked it up and here's your answer. Put this formula in and it doesn't work that way. Right. Well, all I'm getting so far is other worksheets. I'm not you know, I mean the I would imagine. betrayal rust. Um our competitiveness as little kids shows up in this way that she would hurt my boy he was my kid and she would do that in such a way as he felt he couldn't tell anybody until last year he's four he's 50 he just turned 50 so the idea is you can't imagine it and so you keep inviting yourself to be shown something that you can't imagine because your conscious logical mind will constantly do what it just did now. Yeah. Right. You just said, Oh, I'm remembering us being competitive as kids and that that would bleed into this so that when she's an adult, she would hurt my son and then stay with him and he hasn't told me, but that's all logic, right? That's all mm-hmm. logical linear thought and that's all spinning and that's all, mm-hmm. yep, this is all horrible. Let's get the tar and feathers and we'll get the uh, mob going and we'll run her out of town on a rail. Right? It's just it's that can never lead to healing, integration. Of course. Process of forgiveness, which is the dismantling of the negativity in our lives. It can't lead mm-hmm. to that. Yeah. Because because you my know, thought and the process of thought, mm-hmm. that logic, it's based on wanting to be right. And for most of us, the feeling that we want to be right or need to be right is based on avoiding pain and suffering. We used to get punished for being wrong or for not Mm -hmm. being willing to work hard enough to come up with the perfect right answer that some teacher had programmed into us, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I need a short plan and a long plan. I'll, I can do that. I can see how that would be the only way to go. 
meanwhile, we have interactions. You know, she when we have a, a kid in a high school concert or a family supper, she's always invited. <clears throat> I want to be ready. Okay, those. but it, Even, the, the idea, the idea, as you presented this, is that you found out about this a year ago. Yeah. And so you've and been you know what, having Dr. interactions Tim? with her for this past year. And I keep forgetting that it happened. Perfect. I have forgotten it. <laughs> That's perfect. Several times. <laughs> That's what yeah. our minds do. Yeah. Yeah. And since you you don't have any suspicion or any reason to suspect that she is, you know, hurting other kids or hurting your your offspring at this point in time because they're all adults, since you don't need to be doing that, I have to call this and report this to, to protect somebody yeah. who might be hurt. Since that's not in the picture, there's right. no sense of urgency other than the one you would create in your own mind. That's true. <clears throat> and the evidence of that is that you've been interacting with her off and on through this year. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. you know, you might you, you might do a mind shifter on um, or, or some just some regular journaling about, so how is it that I've been able to forget this conveniently at different times throughout the year and what might be triggering me to remember it now with such venom or vehemence? Yeah, my son brought it up again. <clears throat> I had, you know, it blows my mind that I could have put it out of my mind, but he mentioned it the other day. He's in therapy and he's working through stuff. And <clears throat> so, yeah, <clears throat> this seems in a weird, weird way, a poor juxtaposition of the situation with <clears throat> Michael, who's living in our basement, um, I keep having to push my borders, be have wider margins of allowing than I ever have had before, and I consider that a gift to continually remind myself that I don't know what life is like for him. I can't imagine what life is like for him because my little requiring school mom steps up and says, well, you should be doing this and that, and you should have a job, and you should be accepting gigs, <clears throat> and you should be helping us clean the house or something. Uh, but it's mostly just languishing, and I'm witnessing what appears to be languishing, not planning, and I'm, I feel the same tightness in my chest and I have to do the breathing and the tapping and the worksheets. I can come to a place that's allowing and loving even. I can feel affection again. I can say hello, love, which we in the habit of saying. But then it locks up again, over and over and over again. <clears throat> and... I would just invite you, as we invite ourselves and everybody else in work like this, to have the observation that the outside event causing it to lock up, 
that he's just consistently being and doing the same kinds of things. And some days you look at it and interpret it as this is fine just the way it is, and I'm being a blessing in his life, and he's he's trying his best. And and other days you you throw a different filter on it. You reach a different conclusion, and you generate an entirely different set of emotions. Totally, totally, totally. Yep. So it is okay that you do that, and it's recommended that you recognize that you're the one doing it and keep the focus on what you have any control over, which is your own behavior and your own ability to do your own right. work or worksheets or tapping or mm-hmm. journaling, the yeah. EFT tapping. and Right. And I also have this husband in the house who's all cool. You know, he does his work. He buzzes around. He comes and goes. I say, you know, have you heard any thoughts about Michael and everything? He says, no, I haven't been thinking about it. No. <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? I have no idea. He says <laughs> he's, he's so neutral. He's so unattached. So I have to do a worksheet on him being unattached. I want to clobber him. I said, and I said to him, "What if I weren't living here?" He said, "It would be different. I would have to think about what's going on, but I don't because you're doing it." <laughs> so I say, "So I'm a buffer," and he says, "Right." You're doing it. So very interesting, weird stuff going on in our household, Dr. Tim. Good to be able to check in and unload. Well, you know, at a certain point, when you've done your own work to a level and you say, I um, I can do this with firmness and with love, not with anger or upset, then you can say to your husband, okay, this has to change. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be your buffer for this anymore. You and I need to sit down together and decide what's going to happen here. Yeah. I could do that. Yep. That's a breath of fresh air right there. Just to sort of spread it around a little. Well, and, you know, again, what I said there was when you can do it calmly, lovingly, compassion for Tim and your other friend and and. You know, that that might require you to do quite a bit of work between now and then. Or it might be that you're you're close to being ready to to do it. Yep. Right. I'm not ready, but that's good. Yeah, I was ready to – he's out right now, but I was ready to say, all right, Kim, sit down. We have to talk about this. That isn't good. Um, Right. I get it. Thank you. Mm. 
<laughs> we had a funny interaction today. In the Hindu tradition, they talk about the deep will that we have down in our souls. And like if I look at uh, the house and I think I ought to vacuum, it might take, they call it the buddhi, B-U-D-D-H-I. And I say to myself, I've got to do this house. It usually takes me about a week of talking to my buddhi before my buddhi says, okay, now we can do it. And suddenly I have the energy and the focus and the willingness and I go do it. Well, today, after looking at Tim's bathroom for a while, I go in there and I bring all this stuff out and I clean the whole thing and put stuff in. And he said, oh, thanks for doing that. And I said, this really would be a nice job for you to take over. And he said, well, I was waiting for you to tell me to do it. <laughs> We're the weirdest. For, for your, your husband or for Michael? For my husband. Oh, we don't ask Michael to clean our bathrooms. <laughs> we probably could. <laughs> uh, you know, okay. gotten that, just wanted to that. be clear. Yeah, no, I, so Tim Bingham comes up to me and he says, oh, thanks for doing the bathroom. Uh, I knew it needed doing. I was waiting for you to tell me to do it. <laughs> there's an there's an interesting dynamic. It sure is. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, Fifty five years we've been together, and we've developed these little weird things. So yeah, I said, we what if I were a lot dead? of little weird things long before fifty five years have happened. <laughs> <laughs> You're not alone in that. We all do it. Mm. Oh, what a life. Tim, the business of holding a spoon or a rock in the hand and going to sleep to the point where you go under and then the hand drops the spoon. I had one of those experiences. It's been days, and I haven't been able to finish a piece I'm trying to write. I feel stuck, stuck. And I stayed with the stuck, felt lousy about it, felt useless and stupid and all the bad things. And this morning, I went to the computer and finished the piece. I I didn't even know I was doing it until I was well into it. And I thought, ah, this is the way this piece is going to conclude. I had no idea. But that's like going into that state. Isn't that something? Yep. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love the human yeah, I, brain. I, um, I have um, I have discovered that for me anyway, this repetitive use of the process of goal canceling, whether it's the formal process in the seven step worksheet process or my own use of telling myself, Okay, here's what I want, let me cancel that, let me ask to be shown something else. This is literally like practicing being able to tap into that insight, intuition, creativity, inspiration, divine inspiration, whatever you want to call it, on demand. And I can't make it happen every time, but it is happening so much more easily now than it did when I first learned this process. It's as though my, my mind has come to understand what I really mean to say and what I want it to do when I say I cancel my goal for this. When oh, I first started so saying it, I, I didn't have any any understanding of what that means. I used to say, what do you mean cancel the goal? How do I cancel the goal? 
right? I was just like everybody else who hears these words and has never heard a word or phrase like that before. I didn't know what it meant. Mm-hmm. And years, like I'm pushing 20 years now of having been exposed to the worksheet process, and I'm starting to have a feeling, this mental, emotional feeling shift take place as I say, I cancel my goal, I cancel my need to be right, and I ask to be shown. And in my mind, it equates to what Einstein and Edison and these other geniuses were trying to accomplish by holding a spoon or a rock in their hand and laying down for a nap. It's the invitation for something that cannot be developed or spring from the conscious logical process. It's the invitation for something outside of the logical realm to come to awareness. You know, Dr. Tim, you've been talking about giving up goals, but I never once thought of finishing that piece as a goal I had. I would just go <laughs> away from it and feel disgusted. Well, it's a pretty good bet that you can't generate disgust without holding a goal first that isn't getting met. It's a pretty good bet. <laughs> okay, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> I generate disgust quite often. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's a pretty good bet right there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think I had a goal, but boy, am I disgusted with myself after <laughs> that piece not being done. <laughs> Why is it? It's like, duh, I have to go yeah, to the we, ABC it's, kindergarten it's, when, school. But, but when you say, duh, what you're saying is, I just ran into one of my own blind spots. We all have blind spots. Mm. I was talking to another therapist this morning, and she's beating herself up mercilessly. And, of course, (laughs) my view of what she's doing is tremendously powerful good work, you know, way above average in terms of her growth and progress, and she's beating herself up mercilessly. Why? Well, because she is evaluating herself according to some ideal plan and in an area where she's got some blind spots. We all have blind spots. And it just isn't productive to beat myself up over bouncing into a blind spot. It makes a lot more sense to say, oh, that's really good for me to see. Wow. Now that I see it, I can do something about it. Wow, I didn't realize I had a goal for this. I didn't realize I generated all of this disgust because I had a goal for things to be other than they turned out to be. That's great that I see that now. Now that I see it, I can do something about it. Can't do something about, you know, the problem I can't see. I can't fix a problem I don't even know is there. What's the problem? I have a blind spot. How do you know you have a blind spot? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I read it in a book somewhere, right? 
You know, Dr. Kim, I couldn't write music for a long time. And that and during that time, I made all those cutouts that I kept putting up on Facebook, you know. And then suddenly I began writing music again, and I, I have no desire or even ability to make the cutouts anymore. So that's another way of giving up a goal is just changing focus and leaving it, I guess. Yeah, it's fascinating. Your creativity will will find an outlet. Your creativity will find an outlet. Well, I I just looked up and realized that we're just about out of time. I will say a quick hello to uh, I think it's Linda five four one. Hello, Linda. Quick hello. We've got about a minute. Quick. Quick, I just wanted to say I happened to catch Susan's language when she was explaining this whole situation with you that it, uh, this unforgivable, and I went, oh, my God, our belief systems. You know, like I have mine, yeah. and, and I thought, and we're the last ones to know, Susan. Everybody else in the family, everybody else, and not everybody else, but many people see us because they're not attached to when when they're when they're just seeing us and then uh they just see our foibles just like we see their foibles and that's why I don't know I just love it and so thank you for that gift to remind me that my belief systems drive my goals and my thoughts are what build my belief system and I went whoa thank you thank you thank you Welcome, welcome. That was a seriously <laughs> nice byproduct, I guess. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, thank you both for chiming in. I will mute you so you can listen to the second half. And uh, our second hour today is going to be Getting the Stress You Need, Part 2, a recording that Jeannie has asked me to play. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. This is your second hour. In our intermission in, in the workshop, we had a, a question that came up from someone in the audience, and I'd like to address that question so that those who are watching the video might have a little more clarity if this question comes up for you, and that is, what's the difference between an intention and a goal? You know, just really refining the difference. And I would offer that the, the goal is the intention that we have elevated to the point where we decide we want to make it behavior. So I might have a whole myriad of intentions, things I'd like to do, things I want to do. At some point, I'm going to convert one of those to action. I'm going to put my commitment behind it. Use an example. I decide that on my vacation next year, I'm going to travel. And gee, let's see, I'd love to travel to Greece. So I have the intention to go to Greece. I would love to go to Japan, uh, maybe Africa. Uh, and, you know, uh, France has always been of interest to me. So now I have four different intentions, four possible places that I'm going to go. So they'd be in the realm of intention. I haven't decided to take action on any of them yet. But two months from now, when I get my final dates back on when my vacation time is going to be, when I'm going to travel, I'm going to have to convert one of those intentions to a goal. I'm going to have to say, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. And that's where the conversion takes place from intention to goal. 
And once you do that, your mind will produce the best evidence possible to achieve that goal. If you ever asked yourself the question, you know, why did I do that? Or, why do I do that over and over again? And it's against your own will and choice. It's because you hold a goal in your mind. And you've got to look at and change that goal. If you've done the Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshop, you'll remember in step six of the uh, worksheet process, the reality management process, you identify the goal that you're holding. And then when you go to number nine, you get rid of the goal. That's the core step in forgiveness. In the Aramaic language, the word forgive is shebag, and it literally translates to cancel. And what it's got to do with is canceling goals. Because your mind always gives you output to back up the goal that you're holding. And if the goal is unconscious, if you don't pay attention to the goal, then you become behavior. You do behavior that you say, I don't know why I did that and I wish I hadn't. You can't have a behavior without a reality. You can't have a reality without a goal. And reality is the output of your mind. It's unique and individual to you at every moment of your life. And your goals determine your reality. Now go back to this man named Jesus 2,000 years ago. And again, let's look at, was he talking about here's how life works or theology? He said, be in this world but not of it. What was he saying? He was saying, don't allow life to trigger goals in you that drive your behavior. Or life, people out there will be taking over your life. So you're in this world. You're here. You're in full expression and full experience of life. But life doesn't determine what you do. You're the one that's in charge of that sequence we talked about of intention, goal, which filter set, perception, which filter set, and the output of your mind that determines what your behavior is. If you don't determine your goals, someone else will determine them for you. And we are taught in this culture to turn it over to whoever. We are taught as children, turn it over to mom, to dad, to teacher, to religious leader, to government leader, and we go from one to another to another, and we think that that person sets our goals for us. Well, you know, they set a goal and I had to do it. Well, when we get into the process by which goals are managed, we'll see that no one can set your goals for you but you. Someone else can frame a goal. We're going to go through several steps in how goals are, are set forward. And someone else can frame a goal for you, but nobody can set it. If you can't distinguish between framing and setting a goal, if you don't know the difference between framing and setting a goal, then you'll think when someone else frames it for you, that you have to do it. There's this unconscious setting of it. But you have to set the goal. And, of course, the person who doesn't just go along with the crowd is the person who doesn't automatically set their goals according to the latest, you know, authority figure in the crowd. That's the person who becomes, they're called the rebel. What is the rebel doing? The rebel says, excuse me, I'm going to set my own goals, thank you very much. There's a cute poster with a, a line drawing of several thousand sheep walking or going over a cliff. And in the middle of the crowd is one sheep that's going in the other direction saying, excusez-moi, excusez-moi, going the opposite way. And the people who usually take charge of their own minds by managing their goals, 
The mind cannot be directly managed. It is indirectly managed through our goals. And the person who does that is usually thought of as the person who doesn't follow the crowd. Once you recognize that the setting of the goal is an internal process, it's up to you to determine what your reality will be, what your feelings will be, what your chemistry will be, and what your behavior will be. I was in Atlanta last year doing a workshop and I had a young lady that came up to me uh, at the intermission in the workshop and she said, Michael, I want to thank you for saving my life. I said, oh, really? How is that? She said, well, last year when you were here, I went through the whole series of workshops that you did. And I really did the worksheet process. I really worked with the tools that you presented. I did every workshop. And about three months ago, I went home, went into my apartment, locked my door, and there was a man in my apartment with a knife. And he had the knife at my throat and said he was going to kill me. And she said, I had no doubt he was serious and he was intending to proceed with that act. And she said, I, I was just terrified and then all of a sudden she said I don't know why but something clicked inside of me and I could hear you saying the filter to set is love and she said I started to move in that direction I started to think about that and and as I did I looked at this man and I looked in his face and she said I could see the terror that he was experiencing and she said the minute that I was able to see that terror she said, all of a sudden, I don't know what happened, but she said, I was just flooded with compassion. What happened? She said, a filter. The chemistry in her body changed. She said, I was just flooded with compassion. All of a sudden, it wasn't about me being killed anymore. I could see the terror in the pain in his eyes. And she said, the instant that happened, he dropped his knife and ran out of my apartment. Totally changed the circumstance. We have a lot more to say about what happens in our lives than we're led to believe. And the filters that are set in our minds and who manages our minds make a major difference in how life unfolds. We oftentimes don't see the behaviors that we do that produce the results that happen in our lives. They're kind of invisible to us. They're transparent to us. And as you take charge of managing your own mind, you'll find there's a major difference in the way that your life goes. So we see that we live in a culture where, uh, you know, the bosses want to set our goals, parents want to set our goals, employees, clients, lots of people want to take charge of and run our minds. You take a look at advertising. And what is advertising geared to do? Advertising is geared to set a goal in your mind. The advertiser wants to run your mind. And if your mind is open and that goal is set in your mind, you may not realize why the next time you walk into the store, you just happen to walk over and pick up this particular brand. But it was a goal that was unconsciously set in your mind that when you walk into the store is triggered by the presence of that product and you buy. Guard the portals of the mind, the Greek said. They did have that piece of the puzzle very well in place. They had a very good understanding of that. And if you allow others to frame your goals and you unconsciously, not knowing the difference between framing and setting a goal, you unconsciously set the goal, what will happen is you'll do behavior. Anybody here ever feel powerless? You'll feel powerless. Because it seems like your behavior is at their beck and call. 
This is the seed and the root of most resentment. When we feel powerless, we resent the person who we say is running our life. But in fact, they're not running our lives at all. All they've done is frame a goal for us. If we've never taken charge of setting our goals ourselves, then it seems they run our behaviors. And we're controlled by someone else. We're controlled because we turn our power over instead of taking charge. And so those feelings of helplessness and powerlessness and resentment come about as a result of our refusal to be responsible for the output of our own minds. And so every behavior that you have ever done comes from holding a goal in your mind. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look into an exercise that does a mass canceling of goals. The thing about this human mind is that it never lets go of anything. It doesn't know how on its own. It can't do it. You've got to train it. There's an interesting uh, little piece of information that comes from India. In India, monkey meat used to be a delicacy. And the way they would trap monkeys is they take a coconut and they cut a very small hole in the coconut. They take out the coconut meat and put food in the coconut that was attractive to the monkeys. They'd attach the uh, coconut to a tree. The monkey would come along, stick its hand in the, in the hole. The hole was just big enough for the monkey to get its hand in. It would grab the food. It's trapped. This monkey body, monkey mind, doesn't know how to let go, even if it's going to cause its death. If you've ever said to yourself, why am I doing this again? What's going on? I thought I said I was never going to do that again. Well, you can say I'm never going to do that again until the cows come home, but if the unconscious goal to do that behavior remains in your mind and is never forgiven, is never canceled, then every time that goal is triggered into activity, you'll do that behavior and you'll go, oh, why am I doing this again? I'm doing it again because I'm not in charge of or in touch with what's going on in my own mind. And this mind does not know how to change itself. There are only two ways to get rid of a goal once it's set. The mind never forgets. One way to get rid of the goal is to achieve it. Once you've satisfied the goal, it's finished. The second way is to cancel it. But if you set a goal and you don't purposely cancel it and never achieve it, that goal will always be there to drive your behavior. Anybody here ever find yourself engaging in what you might consider or observe someone doing childish behavior? You say, oh, why am I so childish at times? Or, you know, something just comes over me. Uh, there's this person that I, when I'm around them, all of a sudden I do things I don't normally do. What happened? Or this person in your life who acts, they've got goals from childhood that have never been canceled and never been achieved. And so if they're in an environment like a person who maybe reminds them of dad and they've got a, an uncanceled goal about dad, that goal is activated and all of a sudden they're behaving just like they did when they were three with that goal held in their minds. And so it becomes imperative to go back and clean up all of our old goals. Because every goal that you hold is a stressor in your mind. Remember the definition of stress. The difference between the way I want it to be and the way it is, or the way I see it. 
So as long as I hold goals in my mind that cannot be achieved at the moment and are not canceled, I'm under stress. I've had salesmen. This, this, is kind of, this workshop is kind of an outtake of our Laws of Living course. It's a 14-day intensive that we do at Heartland. In our Laws of Living course, we, we teach these principles along with a whole other set in the Laws of Living process. This is kind of a, a subset of the Laws of Living course. And we had a salesman there a couple of years ago who was a high producer kind of salesman, always out there on the road and doing it. And he, we did the exercise that we're about to do. And after the, the next day, he came back to me and he's like, I just had the first night's sleep, decent night's sleep that I can remember in my life. So, oh, really? How was that? He said, well, I can see how all of these goals were continuously running me. The type A personality has a million goals continuously running and doesn't know how to get rid of them. If you go back and listen to the master, he talked about goal setting. Of course, it doesn't look like it in the translations we usually see, but what we're told is, sufficient for the day are the evils thereof. What does that mean? Well, in the Aramaic language, the word evil is an idiomatic word for unfinished or unripened or incomplete. You would take a piece of fruit that isn't ripe and you'd say it's evil. So an evil in that context would be the equivalent of a goal. Sufficient for the day are the unaccomplished goals of that day. What Jesus was telling people how to do 2,000 years ago was how to manage their stresses. And what he was saying is, if you can't do it in the next 24 hours, take it off your list. Because what you've got is a useless stress. And if you add goal to goal to goal to goal to goal to goal that you cannot achieve in the next 24 hours, you use your resources. Why do we have so many people who suffer? One of the most common comments or, or ailments that you'll find if you talk to the medical doctors that you know is that of chronic fatigue. Why are people chronically fatigued? Because they're carrying a million unachieved goals that they don't even know they're carrying. And now we have the chemistry of stress happening in the structure. It's an error to set a goal for a time period longer than the next 24 hours. And so when you start to manage your mind, you start to manage your stresses. Carrying a thousand unachieved goals would be like, well, let's imagine that we have a logging truck. And this logging truck is set to deliver trailer, tractor trailer loads of logs. So the tractor trailer, or pardon me, the, the, the truck itself is sitting in the, the logging yard and an order comes in for a load of logs for next week. Well, you hook up the load of logs to the truck and he could go, but he can't go till next week. And tomorrow morning we get an order for three more tractor trailer loads of logs. So we hook three more trailer loads of logs onto the truck. And then the next morning we get an order for another five for two weeks from now. And we hook five more tractor trailer loads. How many tractor trailer loads do you suppose you can hook behind that truck before that truck isn't moving? All of its resources are used. 
Would you run your business like that if you were the trucker? Would you hook your next 10 weeks of orders to the truck and try to haul them around to every stop you've got to make on your way? No, of course not. If you've got one to do for today or two to do, well, you'd hook two up, you'd drop off number one and you'd drop off number two and you'd be finished. And you'd have lots of resources, lots of power available from the truck to haul that load. But if you hook up the next 10 weeks deliveries, your truck isn't going anywhere. If you hook up goal after goal after goal and don't manage that, then you've just utilized. I see you just striking yourself in the forehead like, oh, I see, I got it, okay. Why are we in overload? Because we're carrying those stressors. The mind is attempting to achieve and direct you to produce that result, and it just consumes the resources. You want to clear out everything that you can't achieve in the next 24 hours, and what you'll find is freshness. What you'll find is a new level of power because you're not loaded down and stressed carrying those goals. So what I'm going to ask you to do now, and if you're at home listening to this video, we'll just ask you to get into a quiet, comfortable position. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Why do we suggest you close your eyes? Well, there's an interesting piece of uh, information that uh, came to me via a, uh, an ophthalmologist friend of mine. And he's really studied how the brain functions in terms of the visual system. And uh, he tells us, he tells in his, one of his workshops, this fellow's name is Wayne Farr, and he tells in one of his workshops how the number of estimated molecules in the universe is 10 to the 800th power, pardon me, 10 to the 100th power. That's the, the estimated number of molecules in the known universe. And the possible connections in a single human brain are 10 to the 800th power. And 80% of that is visual. So when you, remember Jesus said, go into the closet and close the door? What was he saying? Get quiet, close your eyes. Shut down the visual stimulator and your mind gets to quiet down because those links aren't continuously being stimulated. So I'm going to invite you to get into that quiet place. Allow yourself to just take a couple of deep breaths. And as you take those deep breaths, if there's any stress, any pain anywhere in your body, go to that space of love in your mind. Practice. This is a discipline to practice holding the space of love. Go to that space. Take a deep breath into the tension area and just let it soften and let it go. If there's pain in that tension place, pain has a message for you. Be receptive to its message. Breathe into it, let it soften, and let it go. And I'm going to ask you now to start to review in your mind goals that you've perhaps held over the whole period of your life. And we're going to start out by asking you to go back to your relationship with your mother. One of the first basic relationships. We lived inside of her energy system, experienced the molecules of her body flowing through our system. The emotions, the thoughts, the feelings, very intimately linked. The genetic structure for mom contains a lot of goals that perhaps 
have managed your life for you. Some of them perhaps constructive and useful. Some of them perhaps not so constructive. So I'm going to invite you now to think about your mother in that relationship and see if you hold any unachieved or uncanceled goals in regard to mom. Allow yourself to take a deep breath and in the ancient Aramaic language, the master teacher taught about an actual elemental force that existed inside of us that would break off the effects of errors if we enlisted its help. To deny it was to leave us in that error. And so throughout this exercise, and throughout your life if you choose to, you might invite that power to go to work in you. Ask it to become active on a new level in you. In assisting and showing you and surfacing any hidden goals in regard to mother. And as those goals surface, I'm going to invite you to just cancel them. And these would be goals from any time in your life. Maybe you were three and you wanted to comfort mom because she was crying. I want to fix it for her. You need to cancel the goal to fix it for her. I want to please her. Or maybe a goal to displease her. And as you breathe, breathe deeply. Let any goals in regard to mom come to the surface and let them go. Now, in letting them go, and, and the way you let them go, and it's a practice, it's a discipline. If your monkey body, monkey mind has been used to holding on to your goals, you know, it's kind of like the fingers might be a little bit tight around it. You know, we've all done that, uh, that uh, parlor game of squeezing a broomstick for two minutes as tight as we can, and then, ah, try to open the fingers and they don't open. Well, some of your mental, emotional, and spiritual muscles might be a little locked on some of these goals, and so the practice will be opening the fingers. And as you practice with it, it will become easier and easier to let go of goals, to cancel them. And as you do that, it will strengthen one of the spiritual faculties that we'll talk about a little later in the workshop, and that is the spiritual faculty of will. So as you breathe and let go of any goals in regard to mom, and ask that power and list its support in letting go of these goals, and if it's appropriate for you, I'd invite you to set the goal now that that power be available to you to continue this undoing process, to undoing these stressors in your life that we're going to talk about that you'll uncover, or perhaps some that you're not ready to uncover yet, but that you enlist the ongoing support of that power that in Aramaic was called Ruka de Kudsha, an actual elemental force in our minds that will go to work for us and assist us. And now shift to your relationship with your father. Another very deep and primary relationship in every one of our lives. Are there any goals in your mind that you hold in regard to father that have never been achieved nor canceled?
ask that power to assist you in surfacing any hidden goals, any unconscious goals. If you notice any tensions in your body, that might be where those goals are stored. Take your breath to those tensions, let them soften and let them go. Think of now each of your siblings. Are there any goals in your mind that you hold in regard to any of your siblings? I want to be better than them. I want to fix it for them. I want to take care of them. I want them to take care of me. I want them to accept me. I don't want to accept them. Any goals of any kind or quality in regard to siblings, brothers, sisters, Go through them each, one by one, and ask that power inside of you to uncover and show you any goals that you might hold that have never been achieved nor canceled. And now think about yourself for a moment. Are there any goals in your mind that you hold about yourself or have held at any time in your life that have never been achieved nor canceled? Did you want to be the star? Did you want to be out of the limelight? Did you want to be the best or the worst? Did you want to disrupt or fix? Any goals in regard to self? And this act of canceling goals is a mental act that comes from the spiritual self. The ability to cancel a goal is a faculty of the will. If the will has not yet been strengthened and activated, this might seem a difficult process at first. And the practice, you know, it's kind of like you go into the exercise room, the weightlifting room, and you, you lift weights and you strengthen your muscles. Well, this strengthens the spiritual muscle of will as you cancel goals. Any goals in regard to self that need to be canceled? Any goals in your mind in regard to achievement? Anything at any time in your life that you wanted to achieve but perhaps didn't that perhaps still resides in you as a goal. Allow yourself to take a breath and look at those thoughts around achievement. Oh, I want to look good. I want my hair to be perfect. Oh, to be acceptable, my clothes need to be exactly this way or that. If I don't have this or do this or do that, achieve this, I won't be acceptable. If you hold a goal that would come from a thought like that, then what you'll find is that you'll always have to be doing something to be acceptable and acceptance will never be felt. As you cancel that goal and accept yourself, all of a sudden it's like, oh, acceptance is natural. That's what life is about. 
Take a deep breath and let any goals in regard to achievement go. Any goals in your mind in regard to school or education from any time in your life? Perhaps a goal to be the A student. Perhaps a goal to achieve some award or reward in school that never quite came off. Perhaps the goal to get a degree that maybe you have never gotten. Cancel that goal. And you might say, well, but gee, you know, I, I still think I would like to get that degree. Fine. Then as you cancel it, move it over into the area of plans. I plan to get a degree. And at the appropriate time, set the goals that will support you achieving that plan. But don't set the goal to get the degree. Have a plan to get the degree and manage your mind so that the proper stressors occur at the proper time to produce the behavior that will be achieved finally is getting a degree. So that would look like, well, let's see, I'm going to put in my daily planner that in June I'm going to get the application papers to start in September and take those three classes that I need to get. So in your planner, it's now a plan, it's not a goal, on June the 1st, you mark down and this is what I'm going to do. Now come June the 1st, you get up in the morning, is the plan to get the, the uh, degree still there? Yes, it sure is. And is it appropriate for you to go to school in September? Yes, it sure is. Then fine, now you take this plan, this intention, and you elevate it to a goal. Today, I pick up the phone, I call, and I get the papers I need and fill them out and send them in for applying for school. So you do things in an early fashion that create manageable stresses and stresses at appropriate times. Are there any goals in your mind in regard to church? The goal never to go, the goal, goal always to go, the goal to please the religious leader or displease them. Any goals in regard to church? Now, of course, that has to do with the structure of what people set up. Now let's go to the next level. Are there any goals in your mind in regard to God? You know, did you have a goal when you were four in your life? You would be told about prayer and you held a goal for God to fix something in life that perhaps wasn't your place or business to fix? Is that goal perhaps created resentment because it didn't unfold the way that you wanted it to? If you notice with any of these questions that your breath tends to stop, the breath is a switch for mind energy, I'm going to invite you to keep your breath open, keep your breath moving. And as you keep your breath open and moving, you'll be more in touch with those unconscious goals. Any goals in regard to friends? You know, look back in your early childhood. Any friends that you had goals about? 
oh, I want to be part of that group of friends. Or I want to keep this person out of my group of friends. I want to please this friend. Or I did something to displease another friend. Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. A goal. Cancel it. And breathe deeply. Go back in your memory bank to your childhood. Are there any goals that you hold in your mind that have never been achieved nor canceled in regard to neighbors? Any goals at all in regard to neighbors? You know, think about the, the people on each side of you where you lived, the people across the street. Are there ever any goals that you held that have never been achieved nor canceled in regard to them? Breathe deeply, soften, and let them go. Any goals in regard to jobs? Jobs that you've either had or not had? Any goals that you hold in regard to careers that need to be canceled? I need to make this much money. I want to go to this place on the corporate ladder. You look at the number of people who hold that as a primary goal and they love their families, but they've never set goals regarding their families so the goals that drive their behavior keep them at work 18 hours a day, seven days a week. And when the family confronts them, they say, but I love you and I want to support you and nurture you and care for you. And they're wonderful intentions. But if those things are never elevated to goals, they never enter into behavior. And the active goals, ha, I've got to achieve the corporate ladder, run this person's life. Mind management is a key. Any goals in regard to relationships in your life? People that you've had relationships with that have been intimate relationships, close friendships, spouses, lovers. Any goals that you hold in any of those relationships? Oftentimes, the, the childhood goal of wanting to be close to someone 
if it's never achieved and they're canceled, can be running someone's life 20, 30 years later. I've seen more than one person who was promiscuous and once they uncovered, when they finally looked at it and uncovered it, what they found was that it was a childhood goal to be close and intimate with someone that was still running their lives and driving this behavior that they couldn't seem to control that led to promiscuity. Once they cleared that goal, that was the end of it. Any goals in regard to your body, the way it looks, the way it feels, its size, its shape, its weight? Any goals that have never been achieved nor canceled? It would be an error to set the goal to lose 20 pounds. Why? Because you also hold a goal in your mind. You've been trained throughout your whole life that if you lose something, you're going to go find it and maybe get some extra. And so to set that goal can be the thing that, well, we force ourselves to take off the weight but then go and put additional on because that goal to find what we've lost. Oh, what do I want to do? Well, I have a plan to achieve my ideal weight. All right, that's a great plan. It's not a goal. Don't make it a goal or you'll be overloaded. And now what you do is you set out on a daily basis. Remember, sufficient for the day are the evils thereof. Sufficient for the next 24 hours is the setting of the goals that will help you to achieve your plan. So you set your goals accordingly. Ah, today I'm going to go out and run. Today I'm going to eat this way. Today I'm going to think that way. Today I'm going to forgive the things that bring about the need to protect myself, which oftentimes is one of the goals that underlies weight. So you set your goals in an appropriate time frame where they're achievable and you cancel the rest. Any goals in your life about managing your behavior? Any goals in your life about your emotions? Oh, I don't ever want to react like that again. Well, to say to yourself, I don't ever want to react like that again, is to set a goal to react like that again. Cancel that goal. What do you want to do? Oh, I'll set the goal for the next 24 hours that if that emotion comes up, what I'll do is I'll breathe through it, I'll forgive, and choose to stay in the love filters, to stay in Rachma and Cuba. There's a great saying in the 12-step programs, one day at a time. They knew exactly what it took. Don't set it for more than 24 hours or you'll be overloaded with stress. Any goals in regard to travel that have never been achieved nor canceled? Gee, when I was a kid, I had this goal to go travel Europe. Is that still a nagging burden in the back of the mind? Cancel the goal. Let go of it. Get rid of the stress. And in an appropriate time frame, go travel Europe. Set the goal as appropriate. Do the steps that are necessary. 
and you'll achieve the result. Now let's just do a couple of pieces of, uh, of work around looking at emotional states. If you've ever, say for instance, found yourself in a fit of anger and said to yourself afterward, I don't know why I did that or I don't want to do that again. You need to be aware that a fit of anger is the result of a goal. And so I'm going to invite you for a moment to just pick a specific situation in your life where perhaps you've been angry and would rather not have been. And now ask yourself to be shown, ask that you be shown what the goal was that produced that behavior of anger. What was the goal that you held in your mind that your mind produced a behavior-driving reality called anger? Breathe deeply. Soften into it. And cancel that goal. Think of a time when perhaps you've been in fear and wish you hadn't. The mind produces fear because there's a goal. And if fear takes over and the mind of love disappears, and you just enter it into a mind that's going to tend to make mistakes. Well, but gee, I, it was reasonable for me to want to survive. Okay, I agree, it's reasonable to want to survive. But if you hold a goal, goal so powerfully about survival that it triggers fear in you, you just lost the mind of love. And you're going to frustrate your attempts to survive. So, you'd cancel the goal to survive. Well, gee, Michael, that seems backward. Yes, it may seem backward, but if it's a stressor that takes you into the mind of fear, remember the first law was keep Rachma and Kuba, keep the loves set in your mind. Perfect love is what will cast out the fear, what will eradicate the energies and the realities of fear, and therefore the results in your life that are produced by fear. Breathe deeply and let that goal go. And I'll invite you to continue this process of looking for, searching for, and canceling goals that you've held from any time in your life as we close this meditative exercise and move on to the state of, uh, or to looking at another tool for managing the mind. So I'm going to invite you to just kind of come back up to a, to a wide awake state, fully conscious, fully alert, fully aware. You're with us. Take a deep breath. And we're going to kind of shift gears now from that quieter space and look at another tool. And the tool is called Mind Goal Management. We've handed a worksheet to those that are in our audience here, and there'll be one coming up on your screen. And we'll invite you to look at that. I'm going to uh, just read the top part of it 
so that those who are watching on the screen, if it's not too easily readable, will have it available. Managing goals involves much more than keeping and completing a to-do list. A to-do list isn't a goal management process. If, if you're doing to-do lists and think you're managing goals, you're probably overloaded with stress. There are actually five things that you can do with the goal management faculty that you have, and that faculty is the faculty of will. So it's more than keeping and completing a to-do list. We have literally thousands of goals in our minds that we've been trained to unconsciously set goals all the time. The purpose of this worksheet is to bring the process of managing our minds through the management of goals to a conscious level. It is a format for framing, setting, and canceling goals, three of the five capabilities of the human will. The other two capabilities of will, which are strengthened by practice throughout the day, are the ability to select a goal for immediate attention and maintain a goal. Each of these five capacities is as important as the others in fully exercising and developing your will. In our goal-oriented society, which does not put much emphasis on canceling goals, the canceling of, each, of goals each evening is imperative and leaves the mind free of stresses of the world while sleeping. Giving yourself at least five minutes to silently focus on love and breathing after goal canceling and in the morning before setting your goals are ideal ways to begin and end your day. So we're going to suggest some goals that you might set on a daily basis. And this worksheet becomes a format for developing the faculties of will. So the spiritual faculties, the one we're going to talk about here is will, are strengthened by doing these five, five items. That is that we can frame a goal, and we spoke earlier about that. Oftentimes, the advertisers want to frame your goal. Most everybody in your life wants to run your life. They want to frame your goals. But that's all somebody external to you can do is frame them. And you can practice framing goals for yourself. You can select a goal for immediate attention. You can maintain a goal. In other words, it's the faculty of will that decides which goal you're going to achieve right now, which goal you're going to go for. And you can maintain that goal throughout the day so that it creates motivation and drives your behavior, actually sets realities up that inspire you to move in a certain direction. So that's the ability to maintain a goal. You can set a goal. In other words, and we'll look at that setting process in a few minutes, once you've framed a goal, the framing of the goal is not the setting of the goal. The framing of the goal does not bring it into action in your mind. It's the setting of the goal, the choice to say, yes, this is what I'm going to do, is what brings the goal into the behavior cycle in the mind. And then... The last, but certainly not the least, probably the one that's most missing in our culture, is to cancel a goal. Probably the most important one for most people to practice 
is the ability to remove from the mind a goal at will. And most people can't do it at will because they've never met will. <laughs> they haven't practiced strengthening this spiritual faculty. So as you utilize this sheet, it provides a format. And you'll notice that, uh, that you've got a copy on the front and on the back so you could fill one out. You could do a goal sheet uh, right now if you would like. And then you've got one to make copies of for, the fu for future use. And so the starting point, we'll, we'll look at an evening process. The starting point on this worksheet process happens in any given evening where you start to use the sheet. And you look at all of the conscious and unconscious unachieved goals from the day. So that's the first thing I do. I've canceled all of those goals. So I want to run through. What were the goals that I held in my mind from yesterday? I'm going to cancel. I'm going to let loose of those goals. So that's the first step. So I'm creating a clear slate. It's, it's kind of like that example I used of the truck and the, uh, the logs attached to it. What am I doing? I'm unhooking every trailer from the truck so that the power is free. It's open. It's there. Second step we're going to suggest that you integrate this as a part of your daily routine and daily practices. I give myself time for inspirational reading. That you take some space to really key into the high thinkers, the high spiritual beings that have brought teachings to us. And if you take time each day to do that, what you'll do is you will teach your mind how to set into action realities that are consistent with higher and higher ways of behaving. And of course the check boxes are there if that makes sense to you to check it off. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. And then I give myself five minutes to focus on love and connected breathing. How does that look? Well, earlier we did that love exchange. We're suggesting you do it twice a day. So here you are. It's the evening time. You're ready for sleep. You're going to get quiet. You're going to close your eyes and go inside if this is a goal you choose to set. And you're going to go to that love exchange and you're going to really strengthen the condition of love in you. And you just focus on that and stay in a quiet space. With the closet closed, you know, go into the closet and close the door, Jesus said, close your eyes, get quiet, go inside and just let yourself focus on love. And then connected breathing is a very powerful tool. We do a, uh, a workshop called Still Point breathing in our intensives. And if you look at someone who's in a state of pain and turmoil, they shut down, they suppress themselves by holding the breath. And so connected breathing is a way to open things up. And so five minutes of connected breathing and a connected breath is a breath where the in-breath and the out-breath flow as a unit. And it sounds like this. A deep breath that goes deep into your system. So five minutes of that. And then the detailed framing of a goal for tomorrow. And you'll see there are room for four goals in each section. So what is it that I want to do? I now see. And what you want to do when you're setting the what, that is the first segment there, is you want to look at what's the end result you want to produce. The result you want to produce. What do you want it to look like? Okay, so let's imagine that I've got a desire to have a wonderful meal. So what would the end result be? 
Well, what I'm going to visualize, the what that I'm going to do, and this is a way to inspire the mind in the direction of producing the result rather than focusing on the work is, I'm going to see myself sitting at the table enjoying this delectable meal. That's the what. Okay? And then the why. What I love about having achieved this result. And you'll notice you're going to speak it as though it's achieved. You want to see the end from the beginning, right at the start. So what I love about having achieved this result is that I've had this wonderful culinary experience that nurtures me. That's what I love about it. And I'm in appreciation for the wonderful food that I'm given that nurtures my body and feeds every cell. How? I'm going to accomplish my chosen result by taking this action. Well, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to go to the refrigerator. I'm going to get out the items that I need. I'm going to chop and prep. I'm going to cook. And so I'll go through now. Here's your to-do list. But you'll notice the to-do list is just one little segment of the whole process. Most people think their goals are the to-do list. That's not it. It's a much more conscious process when you're fully engaged in it. So how am I going to accomplish it? When? I want to set a time frame so my mind can produce the, the behavior driving realities needed to achieve it in an appropriate time frame. And what you'll find is as you get really keyed into setting your goals, really putting them in place and framing them appropriately and clearly is that there'll be a level of support that comes to you to produce those results that, that just seems miraculous. You'll have resources that show up to assist you in producing those results. And the clearer you are with each step, the stronger the vibration, the energy will be that you set up to attract support for producing those results in your life. So when am I going to do it? And now, okay, so this is in the evening just before you go to bed. Now you're going to ask assistance of that inner power. So Rukha is named here. Rukha means the eternal forces from God. And so there's a specific one for human beings. And I'm going to ask for support. So I asked Rukha to assist me during sleep and having clarity and giving me feedback on achieving the goals I've framed. Now you'll notice to this point you've only framed your goals. You haven't set anything. So you're going to go to bed with no stresses. You cleared the goals from yesterday. You're going to go to bed, have a total clear night's sleep, and you'll have all of the resources available to clarify you and give you feedback on this goal. Then each morning as you get up in the morning, you're going to work towards setting, checking, and committing to your goals. So once again, I give myself time for inspirational reading. Yep, I want to do that. I give myself five minutes to focus on love and connected breathing. Yes, I'm going to do that. Each intention carried out by each goal is connected to love. Now here you've got a space for all four goals. So you want to check out and make sure you're keyed into love with this goal. And that way your mind's going to be at its highest and best. This goal is both in accord with my primary and secondary purpose. And our primary and secondary purpose is another workshop that we do called Purpose, Personal Power, and Commitment. But just be aware, if you haven't done that workshop, uh, that, that you want to make sure that your goals are on purpose. When they're on purpose, you align your power. When you align your power, and this, this comes from our workshop called Purpose, Personal Power, and Commitment, you align all levels of your energy and you become like a laser. Your power becomes fully available. I like this goal. I want to be real clear that having slept on it all night, 
I like it. You know, you ever, you've heard the saying, you know, let them sleep on it. It gives time to think about it. I now commit with emotion to setting this goal. So I'm really going to key in, yep, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to put some emotion behind it. I visualize with emotion the achievement of this goal. I see myself actually producing the result. I have framed and now set the goal. So here's where you elevate it. I have framed and now set the goal to manage my goals for tomorrow. Okay, so you're now setting a goal to do tomorrow's work. So that tonight you're going to be motivated to do this sheet again. And have I been successful at doing that? Unsuccessful? Or did I cancel the goal? I asked Rukka to incline me to be and do whatever it takes to assist me in having clarity about achieving my goals. And then you've got a results space there. Results and feedback. Was I successful on goal one, two, three, and four? Did I cancel it? Did I return it to plans? And note, make a note as to how it feels to be successful. Become conscious of the level of feeling if you are unsuccessful at doing it. And be aware of the tensions that are created in setting the goals and you'll take over your life. Thank you.